This is episode 161 of the Church Venture Northwest podcast. We're continuing Winter Youth 2008 Epiphany Kingdom with Chris C. This is session three. Will you guys pray with me? God, we pray that, um, that this song would be more than melody and lyrics, but that truly it would be our prayer tonight that we would find hope and peace and rest in you that we would understand and grasp, not in our mind only, but in our hearts, this simple and beautiful biblical truths. Lord, that nothing, not the greatest heights or the lowest depths can separate us from your love and your grace. May we truly feel that love tonight. We pray this in your name. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. I... Uh, I appreciate all that uh, James did and and uh, setting us up. Uh, give a hand to Cheyenne. Cheyenne, that was beautiful. Thank you for sharing with us. It was beautiful. Um, I, I think more than anything, I remember. And what a remarkable thing to come here, like to hear good gospel bluegrass music. You got a great painter over here. You got this amazing look, kind of magician guy. Have you guys seen him around? He's actually going to make me disappear tomorrow. So. And he's got some big cats and stuff like that somewhere. I don't know where they are, but um, there were lions, I think. So it's going to be really cool. And if it doesn't happen, then talk to him about it because he told me it would happen for sure. So I remember as I, I heard Cheyenne talk just about the, um, some of the tension that you, uh, you feel at that age. And part of what um, I'm going to share with you tonight are the truths that took a while for me to settle into, but they changed my perspective on everything. I, I went from this place that I think probably many of you are at. This is part of the conundrum of just being like, when you're in seventh grade, you, you really believe that everybody in the room is looking at what you're wearing, right? You just like in your, deep in your brain. And it takes you a while to realize that nobody is. There's not a person in the room that everybody else in the room is thinking about what they're wearing. And that, Nobody is even paying attention to you because they're so self-focused. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? That, that you just, and then all of a sudden you realize, wow, what if I reached out to somebody in the midst of their hurt and despair? In fact, my, uh, my peeps from Melrose made me this shirt about my Melrose peeps. This is, um, and it's a beautiful symbol. I told you guys this story when I was with you last year about these simple acts, and this is part of what you're hearing today, that in a lunchroom, in a place, you can have, I was, the, the story with this goes that I'm, uh, I don't know if you'd call it an addiction, but I'm, uh, when I travel, I'm very committed to my, um, my routine, so you don't need all the details, but I, every morning, have coffee and banana. It keeps you regular, it's really good for you, you get older, you'll know what I'm talking about. So, um, and that's what I do every morning, and I, I, uh, I was traveling back from Canada, after speaking at a conference and I was going through, um, my grandfather helped me join these airport clubs so you can go in, you can steal all their stuff. They have newspapers and coffee and fruit and I just take all their stuff and I get to the ticket desk and they had upgraded me to first class. It's just one of the great advantages of flying a lot. They'll put you up there for free and they have good food up there and you got a little more room and I'm really happy. I got my newspapers, I got my banana, I got my coffee. And I sit down and there's this guy behind me and um, He's got his three-year-old with him, and I don't mind that because i got a lot of kids. I'm used to that. But his kid clearly was upset, and part of the problem was this dad 
didn't prepare for um, bringing food for his kid, and all the food they're going to serve on the plane is not stuff that his kid will eat. So what he's saying is that he really needs a banana for his kid. And I'm trying to ignore him because I have a banana, and I want to eat my banana, right? And um, so the flight attendant goes off, and she looks all over the place. She can't find any fruit at all, and she comes back and says, you know, we don't have anything. And not out of tremendous Christ-likeness, just out of partial selfishness, because I don't want to hear a three-year-old scream on a four-and-a-half-hour flight, I'd say, you know what, your kid can have my banana. I'd be more than happy to share it with you, right? And you would have thought that I had won the Nobel Peace Prize, right? This guy just, he keeps tapping me on the shoulder throughout the flight going, thank you so much for the banana. And uh, I was just like, hey, it's not a big deal, you know, it's a banana. And uh, he taps me on the shoulder again, like, no, really, thank you for the banana. I'm like, listen, I stole the banana, all right? I did not pay for the banana. It's no big deal. No need to say anything else, right? So I, I open my Bible. I'm getting ready to preach the next day at my church, Ecclesia in Houston. And I'm, I pull out my Bible and I start to read. He taps me on the shoulder again. He says, sir, are you a Christian? I'm like, well, yeah, I'm kind of like a professional Christian. You know, it's like, <laughs> that's what I do. And, um, and so I explained to him, he said, I can't believe that a pastor gave me a banana, you know? Like, well, they taught us in seminary just to carry them around with us, you know. It's just, <laughs> we just give out fruit everywhere we go, you know. And, and he said, no, 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 you, you don't understand. He said, my dad was a pastor. He said, my dad would never have shared his banana. Right? It sounded really silly to me. But part of what he was telling, he was telling a story of a Christianity, the kind of Christianity that stays in its own cliques, the kind of Christianity um, that looks down on other people, in the midst of their sin, rather than see their sin and brokenness as an opportunity for redemption, and for the kingdom of God to play out. And the story of a father who was an angry, unhappy man and lived out what he called Christianity and wasn't really what Christianity looks, sounds, or smells like. And so as I told him what Jesus was really about, he thought, I can't believe it. Like that's, and, and we began this long dialogue over hours about what real Christianity was. By the time we left, he said, I'm ready to do that. Like, I want to be a part of that. So I just get emails continually from him still to this day about spiritual questions and what it means to follow God. And the subject will always just be banana, right? And I know it's from him. And um, for you, it may be a Coca-Cola or a cinnamon roll or... Um, some simple little thing, but an act of kindness that turns everyone's countenance. At a place in life, like Cheyenne described so well, that just little things can um, tweak us and have us feeling like we're totally isolated and alone. And, and that swing can happen for some of you so fast. I remember uh, I was going into high school, and I was just at that place. Some of you have been there. Some of you are there now. You think you own the world, right? I, was, um, I knew most of the people in my school. I was just going into high school. And, um, and I was dating a varsity cheerleader, which meant I was the coolest guy on the planet at, for a freshman. And I, I, here, I, we had this big trip before school started, and we went out to, um, uh, to the beach. And we decided to float out in the water, and I'm mostly just thinking how cool I am. I had a great part in my hair and, um, when I had a lot of hair back then, and uh, it hurts just to talk about it. And, I, and I'm, this girl's probably wanting to smooch on me. And, um, and we're floating out there, and I feel something hit me in the leg. And I think, wow, who, who is that? What is that? And I actually, I kid you not, I'm about to start school my freshman year in high school, and a jellyfish swam into my shorts. It, 
I can't tell you what happens when that happens, but it's not pretty. It is not, it is not good. And so I cried a lot.、Um, I cried a lot and a lot. And so I, I start school the next week, and you can imagine、um, how many people in the school knew about the jellyfish story. Everybody. And、um, I went from being the coolest guy on the planet to the most significant loser with a jellyfish in his shorts that you could ever find, ever, right? And、um, and I that same week here I was already at my bottom, right? And I、uh, I had just gotten my driver's license, and my grandfather he let me borrow his、uh, car because my car wouldn't start, and I had a job, which is how I lured varsity cheerleaders with massive quantities of lifeguarding money, and and.、Um, And so I, I'm going to the job. He says, "Take my car," and I come back. And my grandfather, you got to know him. He's a、uh, he's a Baptist preacher. He's he was the kind of Baptist preacher that could get you to love Jesus because he could preach about hell, and you would be so scared you love Jesus a lot by the end of it, right? And he had a trick. He'd turn up the heater. It'd be really hot. You'd be sweating. You'd be like, "Dude, I love Jesus. I really love Jesus." And、um, he could be a little bit intimidating, to say the very least. And so, I, my grandfather had a new Oldsmobile. It was so long you couldn't even believe it. You could hardly see from the front to the back of this Oldsmobile. And I, I'm pulling into his little narrow driveway, and somehow I managed to run into his house. Right. So, and I hit the faucet, and so I hit the faucet, and then water spraying everywhere, and the car is all dented up. And I'm standing there like he is going to kill me. He, I mean, have, how many of you have felt this feeling? You've been, it's like this is the worst. Like my brother Robbie has a great story. He tore the door off our neighbor's car,、um, <laughs> and I'm just standing there, and it's like I can't believe I'm gonna have to call my grandfather. Like, so I call my grandfather and said, I need you to come home, and I need a plumber. There's water, and he goes, What?、And、I said, Please, just come home, and I'll never forget. And for many of us, part of what, this is part of what we're gonna talk. Our views of God are so shaped. By our fathers and grandfathers, because the language we hear in the scripture and it's biblical language, but the world that we live in is so broken. And I was so afraid of what my grandfather was going to do. And I remember standing in the driveway, and my I could not stop my hand shaking. Right, I'm just shaking, and I just say, "Pop, I'm I'm so I'm so sorry." Here's the car all dented and water spraying everywhere, right? And I'm just like, he is so gonna kill me. This is his new car, and he told me to be really careful. And I'm the moron that hit the house, right? <laughs> and I'll never forget my grandfather. He came up to me, he grabbed me by the cheeks, and he kissed me on the forehead. He'd never done that before.、And、he said, "Son, it's okay. It's okay. It's a thing. I love you." And on that day, my view of who God was began to shift, and I began to realize, partly because my grandfather was a really good example in that moment, that God's love for me wasn't based on what I did. Honestly, my grandfather, he wasn't really pleased, you know, that he's like, please, you know, don't run into the house again. It's not a good idea. But I, I don't love you less because of what you do. And part of the beauty of understanding that you're a part of the spiritual family is that God, God has created you and molded you and shaped you into who you are. Is to, to understand that our God loves you, just as you are. Now I'm hoping that just like my grandfather was hoping that I would drive better later on, right? I, he was. God is really hoping you're going to figure some things out along the way. But you figuring things out is not at all based on His love. 
His love won't be withdrawn. His forgiveness won't be withdrawn from you. And when you begin to live into that space, all the rest of the world becomes really insignificant. What other people think of you becomes insignificant, and you begin to stand in this place of security that changes everything. And so our prayer tonight is that as we read these scriptures, that you would begin to understand what it means to be loved by God the Father, a strong Father that holds you within his hands and does not let you go. And in that place, you, you don't bow to peer pressure. You are the one exerting a positive peer pressure because you are confident of who God has made you to be. And so my prayer is that as we, um, we read these passages that you would get that picture. We're going to um, read some of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians. And then I'm going to read to you from the prophet Isaiah. Maybe not the book that you've read a lot of lately. Um, but it's a beautiful and significant book. And in it, we're going to find this remarkable tension that the love of the Father and the declaration of the kingdom that we've been talking all about the whole time you're here. I was preaching on this uh, last year, and one of the guys in the church uh, came up to me after. I was really focused, in some ways like we will tonight, on the, what the kingdom looks like so that you can see it. Part of the importance uh, for people of faith is being able to recognize what the kingdom of God looks like so that we can lean into it and be a part of it. And I was preaching on the kingdom. This guy grabs me before we take communion at the end of the service. And he said, Pastor, the kingdom is not just something that's coming. This guy was brand new to faith, and here he was preaching to me, right? And he said, it's not just something that's coming. It's something that is. Our church is in this neighborhood that's filled with nightclubs. It's a place in Houston that you come to get into trouble generally. And he said, I've spent my life for the last 10 years, every Sunday, I would go to a nightclub down the street, this club called Emo's. I know it. It's one of the places where some very dark things happen, right? And he said, every Sunday, I would go to that place about this time, and I would gather, and I would start my night with a drop of ecstasy on my tongue, and then I would wash it down with Bacardi 151. And now I come here every Sunday, and I close my night, and I put the body of Christ on my tongue, and I wash it down with the blood of Christ. And every day in my week has been changed and altered. Right? I live in a different way. I, I live in the kingdom of God, not in the kingdom of darkness. And my prayer today is that you will live into that tension well, that you will be called to a new kingdom. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and again, I'm, I'm reading to you this week from um, these, these passages for the voice translation. Thomas Nelson publishes, I'm privileged to lead it. Some of the best scholars on the planet that worked with us uh, on it. And, um, and I've got copies of it uh, back in the back. So these cloth leather ones and then these paperback ones. And I, I think you'll enjoy it. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter, three, uh, chapter 1, verse 3, Paul speaking, you can read on the screen with me. He, he says, and he's, he's praying over these Corinthians um, that, boy, they were living in a crazy city where a lot of crazy stuff was happening. And they were figuring out what it meant to be faithful to God in the middle of that place. They gave out a lot of bananas, is what I'm saying. Um, I think. Did they have bananas? Uh, yeah, they did in that culture. So, in verse uh, 3, he says, I pray that God our Father, the Lord Jesus, our liberating King, 
will shower you with grace and peace. This is one of my prayers for you. I'm continuously thanking my God for you when I think about the grace God has offered you in Jesus the liberating king. In this grace, God is enriching every aspect of your lives by gifting you with the right words. This is one of the main things I want you to hear tonight. Part of living into the kingdom of God, part of understanding that you are loved by God the Father is that God has gifted you with everything that you need to know. That have you, how many of you have been in a place where you began to talk to somebody about things that really matter about faith, and you started saying stuff you don't even know? It just started coming out of your mouth, right? You're just like, where did that come from? I don't even know that. I never read that book. I don't. That's called the Holy Spirit, right? And the Spirit of God empowers us and gifts us with knowledge that we didn't even remember absorbing into our heads. But God uses us and speaks to us. There is no one, your youth pastor is not as gifted to love people on your high school campus as you are. They're not. They're a little goofy, I'll just be honest with you. <laughs> kind of nice, but a little goofy, right? You, you, are, you are the perfect person to declare the kingdom of God in that place. If they go sit at another lunchroom table, people just expect them to. That's what they do. They're those youth worker people, right? When you do it, it means something significant. And Paul knew that this church in Corinthians was perfectly gifted to bring the gospel to those people. They were hardcore in Corinth. They were a mess. It's where sailors came in and did crazy sailor things, and lots of stuff was happening. And sailors, trust me, they're nuts. I've been sailing before. Fishermen are even worse. But you know there's like these competing cliques on the ocean, like there's... The people with the boats, with sails, they, they think the fishermen are goofy. And they, Anyway, I'll tell you later, but it's, I like to do both. That's what I do. I go out, that's the declaration of the kingdom. Go out on a sailboat and throw a fishing rod on the end of it. Like, <laughs> blow everybody's stereotypes up. That's what people of faith do. Paul says, you're, you're gifted with the right words to say and everything you need to know. And this way, your life story confirms the life story of the liberating king. Your story of redemption, I pray that you're connected with it, confirms what God has done in his story. So you're not ill-equipped or slighted on any necessary gifts as you patiently anticipate the day when our Lord Jesus, the liberating king, is revealed. Until that day, he will preserve you. What does that mean? You don't have anything to worry about. You are protected and preserved. What really matters has been secured for you. What doesn't matter may fade away. The economy may fall into the toilet. But what truly matters for you, if you're people of faith, we believe the things that truly matter are the things that we can't touch anyway. Those are the things that matter. So he says, until that day, he'll preserve you, and on that day, he will consider you faultless. Why, because you were perfect? No, none of you are. I've seen you dance already. Some of you are pretty good. Two of you, but um, maybe it was three. We'll try it again later. We'll keep moving. James is pretty good. Um, so count on this. God is faithful, and in his faithfulness, he called you out into an intimate relationship with his son, our Lord Jesus, the liberating king. Right? You are sons and daughters of the living God. And as you walk in that confidence... Everything that you, you should walk differently. You know people that walk like they don't know what they're doing. They just kind of shuffle. And you know where you are when you're people that walk saying, I, I belong here. I was sent here. You, you know what I'm talking about? 
like your two of you nodding, you're with me. You, you walk as if I, God has gifted me and equipped me to live in this place and to declare his kingdom. Let me read to you from the prophet Isaiah. Both of these, um, these readings are readings uh, from Isaiah that point, point towards the birth of Jesus. That a kingdom was coming, that a savior was coming, and in Isaiah, they were in this place of desperation, the time that he's speaking. They'd been through destruction, and they were longing to know and to experience God. Read with me. We're going to try to read through it uh, as quickly as possible. Because I have a rule. Once two people fall asleep, then I'm done. So there's one person. Wake, wake them up, and we'll, uh, some of you are acting like you're asleep. now. that's not funny. <laughs> Isaiah 40. This is a passage Handel used in uh, a thing he, he wrote called the Messiah, George Frederick Handel. Comfort, comfort my people, says our God, with the gentlest words, tender and kind. Assure the city, the site of long ago chosenness. Speak unto Jerusalem that it's over. Waging war, the terror, the bloodshed, the horror of my punishing work is done. This is part of what we pray. When the kingdom of God reigns, violence will cease. And so we pray in the Gaza Strip today. Where there's tremendous violence taking place in Iraq, in Afghanistan, in Darfur, that the kingdom of God would reign and violence would cease. Right, this is part of just so part of, um, of living in the kingdom means that we are committed uh, not to engage in this back and forth in violence, right? This place has paid for its guilt. Iniquity is pardoned. Its term of incarceration is complete. It's endured the double punishment it was due. A voice is wailing in the wilderness. This is John the Baptist. Get it ready. Prepare the way. Make it a straight shot. The eternal one would have it so. Straighten the way in the wandering desert to make the crooked road wide and straight for our God. This is part of what we're praying over your cities, your campuses, your church, that we would prepare for the kingdom of God for the arrival of of our baby Savior. Where there are steep valleys, treacherous descents, raise the highway, lift it up, and bring down the nosebleed heights. Humble them. Fill the potholes and gullies and the rough places. Iron out the shoulders, flat and wide. The eternal one will be, really be, among us. That's the key. That's what Christmas is about. That Jesus would come and dwell among us. The key between heaven and hell, even as good as my grandpa could preach on it, weren't about flames and and burning embers, it's not about gold streets. I, part of the reason I wasn't that enamored with hell is, or, I mean, uh, excited about heaven, because I wasn't, wasn't really into jewelry. So they said heaven was all about jewelry. I'm like, I'm not really that into having jewels in my crown. I'm not kind of a bling bling kind of guy. Um, maybe you are, but heaven's not really about that. The difference between the two are about the presence of God or the absence of God. Right? Part of what I pray you experience here is the presence of God, and we pray, God, how do you help us to live in that presence and to abandon the things that are meaningless? The eternal one will be, really be among us. Everyone and everything will see the radiant glory of the Lord. Believe it, none other than God, the eternal one, has spoken. A voice says, declare, but what shall I declare? This is beautiful that Isaiah says, as the grass of the field, bodies are only temporary. Many of you, you, you obsess about especially at this age. I've seen some of you eighth graders flexing your muscles and looking at them while we're reading the Bible. It's not really that impressive, um, but keep working on it. But know that these bodies, what's good about them and what's bad about them, 
they don't last, all right? They're temporary. They will fade away. All living creatures, they come and they go. And whatever goodness they have is beautiful, but passing like the glitter of the dew or the spring tulips, like a flower that comes up and is beautiful, it's also gone. These things dry up and blow away. At the mere breath of God, people are no different. As the withering grass and fading flowers, nothing lasts forever except the word of God. Whatever God determines should be will indeed stand forever. You herald of good tidings, O Zion, make known to everyone in each city and town of our country the joy that belongs to God's chosen people, chosen for presence and leadership. Again, you are God's chosen people. God has chosen you in a covenant relationship. And as Paul said, gifted you with everything you need, all the knowledge you need, all the gifts you need. O Jerusalem, the capital of God's people, announce it, pronounce it, make the news ring out. Say to the people of this place, this Judah, look here, behold your God. The Lord, the eternal one, comes with the power of a thousand horses, like thousand troops with unstoppable might. God will take control without question or delay. God will see to it that dues are paid. Right? You're concerned with some that seem to be getting away with something. Let, let God deal with it. And all is set to right again. He will feed his sheep like a shepherd. God will assure that we are safe and content. He will gather together his lambs, the weak and the troubled ones, into his arms, carries them close to his bosom, and God gently, tenderly leads, burdened by caretaking. One of the troubles that many of us have in our understanding of God the Father is that we have not experienced um, the beauty of what true fathering looks like. God the Father is not abusive. In fact, God the Father is nurturing, we see in Isaiah, who gathers his sheep like a shepherd to their breasts and holds us close, right? I pray that you know that love of the Father. Let me read to you briefly in Isaiah 64, and then I pray for you, and we're gonna have more celebration to do tonight. In Isaiah 64, they are praying for Jesus, for the Savior to be born, that the kingdom of God would reign. I pray that you have the same urgency. Listen as the prophet declares, if only you would suddenly come. I hope this will be your prayer tonight. God, if only you would so suddenly come, if only you would rip open the heavens and come down to us here, how awesome would that be? What would your school look like if God actually showed up in a significant way? The very foundations of the earth, its heights and depths, would shake in anticipation of even greater things, like kindling when it just begins to catch fire. Any of you pyromaniacs, you know that thing, right? Be careful with fire. Smokey, the bear, tells us, right? It, it's, it's like that killing when it just is catching fire, when the water is just about to boil, this anticipation that God is doing something. If only you would come like that, so that all those who deny or hate you would finally understand who you are, so that all people everywhere would be in awe, terrified of your grandeur. We remember that long ago you did amazing things for us, that we never dreamed you'd do. You came down then, and the earth shook, Nothing like that had ever happened before. No one had ever seen such wonders. But you, you did them for the sake of your people. You did them for those who trust in you. Well, we trust in you now. This could be our confession. Will you pray this with me? Well, we trust in you now, and we need you. 
but you knock us down. Whoever tries with sincerity of purpose to do what you want, justice and all that, you strike them down. We've rebelled and committed all sorts of wrongs because you're so angry. We try to tell ourselves that your instruction and promise are forever and we'll be saved by them, but we're all messed up. Right? Could we agree on that? And all our efforts are like soiled rags. We're drying up, weightless and insubstantial, and blown away by wrongdoing. And it's so sad because we don't even look to you anymore. You've been absent for us for too long. You left us to dissolve in the acid of our sin. But here we are, here I am, trying to reach you, trying to call you. Please, eternal one, you're our parent. We're just dirt, but you shape us and make us something of worth. We're the product of your creative action. Don't be angry anymore. Oh God, don't be forever bitter about our wrongs. Please turn the light of your face back to your people. Look at us now, look at us all. Will you pray with me? God, we long to see your face. We believe that as you look down on us, that your grace could be revealed in a way that would transform our relationships. It would disrupt our lunchrooms our classrooms, our youth groups, our churches, the barriers in our neighborhoods. It would mean that uh, those that have abundance would share from that abundance. Those that have favor and popularity would reach out to those who are lowly and ignored. Lord, may your kingdom come in small places that shalom would reign, that forgiveness would be real, and that we would walk with an understanding that we are truly sons and daughters of the living God. Would you change our pace? Give us eyes to see what you see. We pray that in our last times together over these days, that you would expand our hearts with a greater love for one another and the ability to call others into that love. We pray all of this in your name. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.